0: Juggling motherhood and modern day life can be stressful and relentless, but it doesn't need to be this way. The Joy of Being podcast is the answer to maternal mental health, bringing sustainable relief and calm to hardworking mums everywhere so that you your family and work can thrive. My name is Marina Pearson and I'm your host, transformational coach and mum who loves to interview business owners, transformational professionals and creatives to have insightful conversations about what it takes to really live a life that is thriving, fulfilling and full of joy. And today I've got some amazing news. You can now order your very own version of The Joy of Being book, Supporting Hardworking Mums to Stress Less and Live More. If you're the type of mum who is struggling with the burdens of motherhood or modern day life, then this will be a perfect book for you. If you're curious, you want to know more and you want to see what's up with that book, you can do so at www.MarinaPearson.com book. So on today's show, I'm super excited to be interviewing Chip Chipman chip is somebody that I've been working with over the last four or five years he is somebody that was has shared three principles around the world to corporations to individuals to people in prison and has some really incredible Profound and miraculous stories to share around how we all actually have innate health, whether we know it or not. So, I got him on today because I know how profoundly impacted I have been and the changes that I've seen in my relationships with those around me my ex husband, my child, my nearest and dearest family in Madrid. And more than any of those, it's been the relationship with myself that's completely transformed. From somebody who went from pressing episodes, suicidal episodes, to somebody now who actually has the capacity to laugh at herself. <laughs> so, without further ado, I don't want to keep you waiting anymore because the conversation we had was very profound and very personal to Chip, and he talked about his relationship with his dad, his relationship with his son, the relationship that he has has with his wife, and through his stories, you can see the hope and the magic that we all have inside of us and how it's possible to thrive in relationship, even when we can't see how. Enjoy. So welcome, everybody. And on today's show, I have the wonderful Chip Chipman. I have known Chip for the last four years, maybe even five now, actually. And I was introduced to him by my mentor at the time, who was Jamie Smart. And I went on retreat with them for the first time. And oh, boy. <laughs> did I go deep and since then uh Chip and Jan his wife have become wonderful friends and just beautiful people in my life um I've worked with them on and off for for those these four years and to be honest I don't know where I would be in terms of the experience that I have in my life if, if it wasn't for these amazing people so I'm just really really honored to have you here today Chip welcome
1: Oh, thank you, Marina. It's always good to spend time with you. Well, we always have such a good time.
0: We do, don't we? We always have a bit of a giggle. So, we do. <laughs> so if we do giggle a lot on this show, um, we're not going to apologise for that. We hope that you you, <laughs> you giggle with yeah. us. With us, yeah. I'd love to start with Tip um, because I know, obviously, you you the angle that you take in this in this understanding is is relationships and. Um, I'd love us to start with why why that was so important to you in terms of um, and what's changed for you. So if anybody's listening and they're going through a really hard time with their relationships, let's start there.
1: Well, thank you. And again, it's really a pleasure to do this. I've been looking forward to it. So with regards to where I come from on it, it it's true that we talk about relationships a fair bit, Jan and I, but finding some health within ourselves, finding a little bit more of our true self, And sharing that with others is the main thing. And relationships is really a natural outcome of doing that. A change in our relationships is a natural outcome of doing that. So uh, as a bit of background, um, we just had, Jenna and I just had our 50th wedding anniversary. So we've been married for 50 years. I can't even (laughs) conceive. I know, I know. I I don't feel old enough to be married for 50 years, fortunately. (laughs) (laughs) When we first came across principles, and, and at the time, it wasn't even called the principles, it was city banks. Right? It was the originate of the three principles. When we came across that, we were in the process of starting a divorce. We'd been married about six or seven years. Hmm. And what I remember is that I couldn't see a way out. I couldn't see a way for that to improve. We literally could not be in the same room together without arguing and getting upset. And so it just it just seemed impossible to me. And we'll circle back to it, but here's what's interesting when I think back to that particular time, is we met Sid Banks, and Jan met him first, and had a really profound change, just from one encounter, just an hour or so with him, uh, an accidental meeting. And she literally came home a different person, which took me quite a while to accept. I mean, I'm talking weeks. But what's really interesting is our marriage, within a couple of weeks, turned around. And we started really enjoying each other's company. And when I look back at now, this is what I find very interesting about that. I look back at it now, and I really can't tell anybody exactly what we changed. (laughs) It's like we stopped arguing. The arguing fell away. Um, We started having more fun. We started enjoying each other's company like when we first met because we had a really great relationship when we first met. But I don't remember thinking, you know, I won't do this anymore, and I need to get rid of that habit. I don't really remember that. It just it just changed. Mm-hmm. And essentially, my, my analysis of that is that Jan heard something that took her to her true self, which was, if, you, if, you, if you've listened to the principles for a while, you have that idea that no matter what you've been through, the true self, because it's spiritual in nature, has not, will not, cannot ever be damaged. It just can't. It's not of this world, so it can't be damaged. And that's kind of the essence of, of the idea of innate health and principles. So when Jan came home from her first encounter with Sid and just she just looked healthy and happy and which really didn't add up to me. Like, you know, I thought you had to go to the Zendo for years and years and years. And after that maybe go to Japan and India. And you know all the searching and thing you don't just go off in an afternoon and come back. With a, just happy and just solid, you know. So it took me a while to accept that, and in fact, at first I did less than accept it because I, I resisted and argued, and it was seemed just way too simple to me. It just was way too simple. The saving grace with that was that Jan's change was permanent, hmm. and it was permanent in the face of me trying to bring her back where I knew her. Now, I don't. I don't mean that I was consciously doing that. But in that first few weeks, when she had found this happiness, I would try to hook her into an argument. I would try to upset her. You know, this is in hindsight. You know, but it was pretty constant. So I know something was going on. I wanted her back where I knew the handles in the relationship, so to speak. And it wouldn't. It wouldn't work. Like, I could get her upset for a moment or two. Um, I could get her to argue with me for a moment or two. But I always saw that moment, when it just stopped. And later on, I realized what would happen then is she would just go, she was just not going to go there. Hmm. She would return to that feeling of health. And sometimes she'd have to leave me and go for a walk, to do it. But she would do it. And I I really at first thought this change was temporary. I thought, well, this will go away. It's just some kind of, you know, she's met some charismatic person and blah, blah, blah. But the fact that it was sustained finally got my curiosity up. So I've seen this process many times around the principles. When somebody first encounters somebody who's had a change, if it's somebody close to you, the first my first experience was confusion. It just really confused me. And what I didn't see at the time is that confusion was healthy. Hmm. Because I, I was pretty sure I knew how the world was constructed and all of a sudden I was very confused. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that I tried worked. From the old world, but eventually, because Jan's change was sustained, and I could see that she was healthier, I could see that she was happier. Whether I wanted to deny it or not, I could still see it.
2: And eventually, that confusion turned to curiosity, mm-hmm. and then I started to listen. And eventually, went to hear Sid Banks speak.
1: And it's still, I still hung out in that low level for a while, just kind of hanging on. But I remember the moment when I really saw something for the first time. Um, We've been going along. My, our marriage was already better in spite of the fact that I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> uh, we were definitely feeling better. But I was still kind of hanging out and that's your world and I'm stuck here kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was sitting on the couch one morning really early, uh, like seven, six 7 o'clock in the morning when we were up. And Jan was on the floor playing with our son and the sun was coming in the window at a super low angle coming through the window and it was in their hair the two of them and i was looking at it it's for some reason it just caught my attention and as i was looking at it, this feeling just, just rushed in and i just filled up and teared up and i remember thinking wow all i have to do is surrender and everything changed after that that was That was the moment of change for me. And that was before I ever met Sid Dad had met him, but I hadn't. So it's just fascinating for me to look at that and see how when one person takes care of their own health, um, which is the essence of how we work with couples, by the way. We don't necessarily put people together when when they first work with us. Work with them individually. Because we found through our own experience, like what happened with us, when one person finds a new level of health and is able to let go of all of that sticky stuff to just maintain their own health and their own state of mind, the relationship is automatically changed, mm. automatically changed. Um, and that's not to say that in every case it'll work out because I'll put it this way. There was a possibility that I didn't see that it wouldn't change. And if Jan had to move on at that point, that would have been the right thing for her to do. Right. But lucky me, um, I finally did get a glimpse. But it was fascinating because we didn't really have to address all the issues. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it just changed. Now, having said that, as we started to feel better, we did talk about things that had bothered us before. But we were talking about those things, both both of us in a good state of mind. So we were able to resolve and, and make changes. I don't know if that's making any sense so far. But what
0: I, yeah, no, it does, you know, and and I've seen this for myself, um, where my ex and I, and you know, you know, you know him, and we, for many years, were coming from this place of defending our realities a lot, and recently, I, I don't know, I guess I just stopped doing that. And what's been fascinating to me is that for the first time ever, he actually reached out to me to tell me what an amazing mom I am.
2: Ah, beautiful.
0: Now, this, in the context of that, has come from a place of the usual narrative was coming from I'm a better parent, I know better.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And that's gone from that to. You're an amazing mother. Now, it wasn't, I was just not like to me, that was just really unexpected, like just totally did not expect that. But it makes sense to me that that's what he sees because of where I am right now or where I was to where I am. And it apparently was always his fault. You know, it had nothing to do with me. I was doing the work. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like, you need to wake up, it's, it's got nothing to do with me. Um, and, and, and actually, I reflected on that when he sent me that text. And I thought, oh, my God, it must have had something to do with me. <laughs> That's
1: beautiful. What a, what a beautiful thing, though, you know? Yeah. And how beautiful for Leo.
0: Yeah. That's Very cool. much so. And, you know, Mark and I were, would be at loggerheads a lot of the time. And now... I go and spend time there in the States with him. We've, we've learned to be around each other and to actually remember what it is to enjoy each other's company.
2: Yeah. Mm. That's great.
0: So it's possible, right? It really is possible. Um, and so if somebody's listening in chip and they're going, yeah, this is sound, this sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> sounds wonderful. What would I do? What do I do? But what do, I do? You know, that's, that's usually the question that a lot of my moms ask me is, what do I do now? Like, that's great. What, and so what, what does, what does that do for me? What does that do for the relationship?
1: Mm. Well, using you as an example, it's really, to me, it's very clear what it does for the relationship. We, we've all been conditioned in our relationships to do the, the habits that we have together. You say this, I do that. You do that, I react in this way. And in the case of Jan and I, and in the case of, that you're talking about as well, when one person decides just to get quiet and take care of their own health, irregardless of the relationship, which sounds a little weird, I, I do appreciate that, <laughs> <laughs> but when you take care of your own state of mind, mm. what happens is you break that habit, you break through that mutual habit of how we react to each other, and that's got to happen no matter what for a relationship to improve. So many, many times we've seen where one person finds their health, gets much less reactive to the other person's stuff, pulls back and just takes care of themselves. That other person has an expectation of a response. They've had it for years in many cases, right? And all of a sudden it's not there. And it's like in my case, it's beautiful because it that confusion I talked about is super healthy. Because before that confusion, I was pretty sure of how the world was constructed. Right? Mm-hmm. And the confusion is like taking you off of that and it's breaking the pattern of the back and forth in, in the relationship. It breaks the pattern, right? Once the, ba- the pattern's broken, there's a chance for newness to come in. And even if it only comes in in one part, the relationship is fundamentally changed And that the other person doesn't have the, the echo chamber to bounce off of, so to speak, to, to get into, to get the back and forth going. So, in that sense, it at least creates a space where what you've been doing stops for the most part. Then there's the chance that the other person will observe that and, and see that health, and in seeing that health, move from curiosity, from pardon me, from confusion to curiosity, you know. And then there's a chance of both learning together. So, if, you know, say, what do I do? Well. What you do, and I, I wish it was more complicated because people like it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what
2: are the steps? Give me the five yeah, steps.
1: You know, in some ways, I wish there were five steps. But really, the main step yeah. is to learn to listen to something that takes you inside. That place in you that's healthy. And and most people are, are even people I talk to as new clients want to say, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to do that, but let me resolve this first. <laughs> I don't see how I can do that unless this mess gets cleaned up. And I just have to tell you, it works the other way around. It's an opposite. It doesn't really matter. That's probably a cold way of putting it. Now I'll just say it. It doesn't really matter what's going on in the details of your life. You can always find that quiet within, that health within. Hmm. And once you connect with that, you know, you look back at what you've been through and you see it with a whole new level of understanding because you're, you're getting out of the relativity of all that thinking. Mm. You're getting to look at it from a neutral place. Mm. And there's incredible power in that neutrality. First of all, in terms of giving you a quieter, more peaceful state of mind, which is what everybody's really looking for. But secondly, it gives you a different look at that other person. You know, you begin to see. Uh, well, this is the way I see it, anyway. That people are basically psychologically innocent. You know, they do what they do because of their own conditioning and belief systems and thinking. And there's there's a there's a type of innocence in that, right? Like nobody would want. To, nobody would say, "I want to have a combative marriage." You know, nobody would want to say, "I want to have a combative relationship with my yeah. father, my brother." Yeah, nobody wants that, but we we do fall into it. And once the fault game gets going, your fault, my fault, boy, it's really, it's really quite hard to break that pattern. Mm. Until one person has the insight that their state of mind is solely in their hands. And the wonderful thing about that is once they see that, it actually
2: changes how they see the other people, another person, and breaks the pattern. It breaks the pattern. Mm.
0: It's like the referee of a boxing match. (laughs) Because I know, um, I know before even coming on tonight that that I asked you to share your story with your dad, because for me, I can, I can't even like, for me, that's just such a miracle story. Um, Because I know that that was a relationship that, based on the context in which you found yourself in was like, how can that, how can that, how is that even possible? Like, okay, fair enough. My wife, whatever,
2: yeah, right. <laughs> my
0: father, like, no, he's the exception. So I'd love you to share because
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. My father was the exception and, and by way of background, I'm the oldest of 11 kids. And, um, uh, my dad was,
2: uh, quite a strong alcoholic. I mean, he really had it bad. And at times he could be very violent, you know? And so I, by the time I was a young man, I had a pretty, pretty strong hatred
1: for my father. I couldn't think about him in any way without a bad feeling, without hatred, absolute hatred and loathing, you know? And even for a year or two after I met Sid, I still had, I couldn't shake that feeling about my father. Right? I, I just seen too much, and especially the oldest son, because as I turned into a teenager, I ended up in the middle of it a lot, between my mother and my father. And so I definitely had this profound hatred for my father. And uh, I'd gotten to the point where I, there was a period where I didn't speak to him of 12 or 13 years, something like that, because I never let him meet my kids either when my kids were born. My, they knew they had a grandfather, but they—they, I think we went with each of them when my mom was around so that she could see the baby, but after that, they never had any contact uh, with my father. And so when I first started listening to Sid Banks, I mean it was great, my marriage was changing, everything, but there was something he would talk about that would just get me upset every single time. And what it was, he'd talk about forgiveness, you know, and about how you really won't get a really quiet mind until. In the spirit of forgiveness, because that's what fills your head. You now, in a lot of cases, definitely, was definitely partly what filled my head, not necessarily with concrete thoughts, just the feeling and the defensiveness and my stance towards the world. All of that came out of that experience. Just, I mean, Freud was correct to that extent, that we're a product of our experiences. The only thing Freud didn't know is that, while that's true, it's still just thought. It's the gift we have, right? So anyway, um, Sid would talk about forgiveness, and I'd get upset. And at one point, one night, I actually walked out of one of his talks because he was going on about forgiveness. And I was getting so upset I felt sick. You know, and I remember thinking, you don't know what I've seen. There are things that are unforgivable. Right? So I, I left, and I got a call from the next day and said, are you okay? And I said, you know, Sid, I, I love what you say and what you teach. And I understand when you start talking about forgiveness, you're talking about a quiet mind. And I can see intellectually why that would be true, that forgiving would give you a quieter mind. But I said, I just came right out with this and you haven't seen what I've seen. You haven't experienced, so you really can't talk to me about forgiveness. He said, Well, do you want to come over? I said, Yeah. So I drove across the island to Sid's house. It was one of maybe in in forty-three years that I knew him it was one of maybe three occasions when he actually talked about something personal in my life you know, he, never, he, always, he 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 always. would always say you don't have to talk about your problems he would just lead you to that to that health and you'd see for yourself but in this case he told me to come over so I did I, I went over to his house and it's on your mind thought, well you want to hear it I told him the first the worst couple of stories I could think of and I didn't leave out any details <laughs> was pretty gruesome and i could see it upset him you know that he, he reacted to it he was, i could see the compassion and the sorrow as i was talking to him and i remember thinking to myself finally he understands that some things are unforgivable you know and then we had a long quiet pause we we're just sitting there
2: in his living room looking out the sea and finally he says you know chip your father must have really been suffering to have done those things and I just freaked out. My
1: father was suffering and I walked out on him again. You know, I said, I'll see you later. And I, I drove home. I think we had a fairly unique relationship that way. <laughs> I think maybe that's part of the reason you like to hang out with me a bit is I, you know, I just, I, I was what I was and I said what I saw. So anyway, I had this experience that night. Went to bed, and, and Jan was sleeping, and I couldn't sleep, And partly because I was thinking about that conversation. But for some reason, I started to think of some terrible things I'd said to Jan before this change, really cruel, mean-spirited, nasty things I'd said when we were arguing. You know, that feeling like, oh, God, I, I wish I had. How could I could only take that back kind of thing? How could I have said that to Jan? And I was just cringing in bed. And then out of nowhere, this kind of peace just washed over me. Wow. And I remember the insight was very simple. I just thought to myself, that's from this old world over here. You don't even live in that world anymore. And it's not even possible in the world that you live in now.
2: And I remember I teared up with, I just was so grateful to see that those were two different worlds and that
1: I no longer lived in the world where that was possible. And I just felt so grateful. I fell asleep and I slept for like 11 or 12 hours, which was really unusual for me. Normally, I'm a six or seven
2: hour person. I don't sleep that long. But I slept for about 12 hours. And when I woke up,
1: Couldn't get my finger on it. I just felt so light and free and at peace, but I couldn't. I mean, it, it was a long time after that, but I realized what had actually happened. Right? That there was a volumes of thinking that I'd let go of, and I just felt better. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks later, I'm in the same position. Jen's asleep, and I'm lying in bed. And for some reason, I started thinking about my father. And when I did, I went right back to our last fight together. The night I left home, I was not quite 17. and we had a really, we had a, a really tough encounter, physical encounter. And I got sick laying there thinking about it. And all that kind of hatred just rushed in. I'm just thinking those thoughts again, And I hadn't felt like this for a long time by now. I was just really, really negative. And then the same thing happened. It just broke. And I just felt this peace. And I had this insight, and the insight was really, really simple. The insight was, my father was living in a world that was handed to him. He didn't even know that another world existed outside of that world, and he was lost in it. And if he hadn't have been, he would have known better. And if he'd known better, he would have done better. It was just super clear to me. It was like, I saw that my father was innocent. Not innocent of the deeds. I would never have let him do the deeds again. That's a totally different conversation.
2: But innocently lost in a world that had been handed to him by his father. You know? And I, I just, I was so shocked
1: because I was laying there and seeing that. And then out of nowhere, I just felt this profound feeling of love
2: for my dad.
1: You know? And it really surprised me. Man, it surprised me. Yeah. Same thing. I I fell asleep and I slept a long time, 10 or 11 hours. When I woke up, this time I think I really had more of an understanding of what had happened because I just felt so light. But I sort of knew that what had disappeared, if you can imagine the volumes and volumes and volumes of thinking and beliefs and ways of reacting to the world, that revolved around that experience when I was a
2: kid with my father.
1: And now it all dissolved. It just dissolved. And I felt so light. And that's the first time I came to understand the role of insight in creating a state of meditation. Hmm. Because when that all that thought fell away, that's what was left was a stronger state of meditation, a quiet mind, a sense of peace. Hmm. So that was amazing. And, and I, I told Jan about it in the morning and was her suggestion actually, she suggested we start calling my dad, which we did. He was so confused, <laughs> like after 12 or 13 years. Hello, how you doing? <laughs> and and it, you know, he it, it was very, um, he didn't know what to do with it. So, at first, it was like, I'll see, I'll see you later. He wouldn't talk for more than a couple of minutes, right? But we just, I just committed to calling him every couple of weeks, and so we did, sometimes even more often than that. <laughs> Eventually got around to at least he would talk about painting his bedroom or the hockey game or, or whatever, but it never moved much beyond that. But there was at least there was a connection. Right? There was a connection, and it it, it kind of got um, I, I would say just friendly, and, and you know, I just think he was still confused about why we're doing this. You know? <laughs> after all those years and all the bad feelings. So anyway. That went on for, I forget how long, a year and a half, maybe so or so. I was giving a talk in St. Petersburg Beach in Florida to a room full of therapists. And it went really well. It went really well, and I was feeling really good about it. And as I walked down off the stage, I saw Jan across the room. And as soon as I saw her face, I knew something was up. You know, I knew something was wrong or something was up. So I made my way through the crowd to Jan, and, and she said, I just got a message while you were talking that um, your dad's dying and he wants to see you, right? boom, I just went right into it right away, thinking, oh, my God. And Jan was on the ball. She would already got me a flight up to Canada to see my dad. Uh, And so within two hours, I think I was on the plane flying north. And all the way, I'm rehearsing in my head what I need to say to my father. I've never done that before. Oh my god, all of us have, you know. And the more I rehearse, the worse I feel. Right. So I get up to Ontario and Canada. This is from Florida to Canada. I get up there, my brother picks me up at the airport. My favorite brother who I'm closest to, I get in the car and he and I are in an argument in two minutes. So we drive to the hospital, we go there and there's a half a dozen of my brothers and sisters, uh, all fighting and arguing. There's like a twenty five year old social worker trying to sorted out and I'm thinking good luck buddy <laughs> good luck with that and uh I just told them you know I'm the oldest the old man wants to see me so if he regains consciousness I'm going in by myself and somebody one of them started to argue and I just I just put it down it wasn't friendly it wasn't nice I said no I'm going to go in and see him
2: that's just it right
1: <laughs> so I forget how long it was an hour or so maybe two hours the doctor came in and said you know Mr. Chipman's partially conscious if anybody wants to see him you better do it now you know so i stood up and i walked down the hall with the doctor and at this point i don't even know i'm just assuming that he's dying from his alcoholism or water so i say to the doctor what's killing him he says well he's got asbestosis from working with asbestos in the lungs he's got cirrhosis of the liver from the alcohol he hasn't eaten in days and days so his stomach's shriveled up and oh by the way he had a triple bypass like a month ago or something instead of going, which nobody told me about, which instead of going home and doing the therapy, he went home and sat on the couch drinking whiskey. And I said, well, which one of them is killing him? He said, really, none of them. He said, it's just so much that now he's got pneumonia and he's just going down fast. He said, if anything, the pneumonia is. Okay. So we come to the ICU, and I think the doctor's going to come in. He opens the door for me, and the door closed behind me. The doctor didn't come in, and I'm looking at this man. at this point I haven't seen in like 13 years and it's not my father I mean it is but it's this shriveled up skeleton of a person there's just hardly anything there
2: Mm.
1: and he's just skin and bones I went over and I looked down at him and I'm still at this point as I walk towards him still rehearsing still thinking about what I want to say but the second I looked into his eyes that all just went poof and it This is my explanation of what happened. I'm not saying that anybody else would have seen this or whatever. But something happened where it was like the light in the room changed. It softened. And I looked down into his face, you know, and I saw that he knew who I was. I saw the recognition in his eyes. He wasn't speaking. And I looked at him and my mind was absolutely quiet. I've never experienced anything like it. There was just this profound silence. Now, when you're in that state, you're really now and you're really present. You actually don't know what's going to come over your lips,
2: like what you're going to say. And I didn't. But I looked at this man who's ostensibly dying. And this came out of my
1: mouth. I looked at him. I said, do you want to get out of here? And it shocked me. I'm. What are you talking about? He looked really confused. And then he
2: nodded. And I said, you know, all that guilt and shame that you feel right now for how you treated the family, your wife, mom.
1: And I could see the tears starting on the side of his face. I said, you're going to have to let that go or you're never going to get out of it. It's not possible. You have to let go of that feeling. I said, I remember you telling me when you left Newfoundland in Canada to find a new life in the West. When you used to tell that story about making that trip when you were a young man. You would get really excited and you'd be really lit up. And you'd talk about getting on that train and going west. Excuse me. I said, do you
2: remember that? And he nodded. I said, do you remember the feeling of doing that? And he nodded. And I said, you know,
1: if you want to get out of here, that's the feeling that you've got to hang on to. And you have to know that you were living in a world that was handed to you. And you didn't know there was a world outside of that, because if you had, you would have done better. If you, you, you'd, you'd have known better, you would have done better. You lost consciousness. And I thought to myself, what have I just said to a dying man? You know, literally made no sense to my intellect. And I went out and went down the hall, and this is showing my age, went to the payphone. <laughs> so, pile of quarters into the payphone and phoned jan and told her what had just happened you know if you want to get it. i told her exactly what i said i said i can't believe i said that to a dying man and jan said that's really beautiful really beautiful hmm. and Jan said that i and then i connected i realized it was what it was and jan said you know we have this video of the kids he's not seen them since that they're teenagers now she's all send this video up to the hospital and when it gets there, you can show it to them. And it was—it was a silly video. It was like for the insurance company, you know, like here's the refrigerator, here's the VCR, here's the TV, you know. And every once in a while, the kids were in it. And there was a shot of my son in the garage working on his uh, American Muscle car that he and I were restoring together. And there was a shot of my daughter throwing the frisbee for the
2: dog in the backyard.
1: So anyway, this video comes up, and the next day, when it gets there. Um, he regains consciousness again, and I get permission
2: from the doctor to put TV in the room, introduce him to his grandkids. And when he he came to, I said, do you want to meet your grandchildren? He just, what, you know? And I said, they are not
1: really here, but you'll see a video. I said, okay. So the doctor, by then, there's like half a a dozen of, maybe four or five of my brothers and sisters in the room. The doctor says five minutes at the most. So we put on the video, and, you know, here's the VCR. Here's the microwave. And then in the garage is my son, who's sixteen, in his jeans, no shirt, hot summer Florida day. And he's got we've got this big V8 all tuned up and he's he's got it running. He's revving. he's leaning over the motor, revving it up, making this roar. He's looking back with this big grin on his face, right? So there's that. And my dad's watching this and he's like, he just you could see it was really hitting. He's seen his grandson, right? Mm-hmm. And then here's a little bit more of the furniture, and then there's this
2: incredible
1: shot of my daughter in the backyard with the sun shining down and the dog chasing the frisbee. Just a little bit of video, right? And he started to cry and he started to choke. And the doctor said, "That's enough. Everybody out." And my dad, first thing I heard him say, said, "No. He wanted to watch the rest of that video. He did." And so. the long and the short of it is this, he was supposed to die, but he lived for another seven years. And what's really interesting is he never took another drink, didn't go to AA or anything, he just quit. And he just became this totally, absolutely different person. Person I had never, never really known. And uh started calling our kids and talking about school. Man, he never talked to me about school my whole life. And he just that healthy individual in there came out. Nobody could understand what happened to him. None of my other brothers, some of them still probably don't believe it because they had such a bad feeling about him, they never reconnected with him. But he became a totally different person. Right? And it's funny, he was too macho to talk to me about what happened in the hospital, but he talked to Jan about it and say how grateful he was and, and how, yeah, well. At his funeral, I did the, um, the eulogy My old aunt came up to me after, his sister about the same age. She's a sweet, sweet person. She said, you know when your dad was in the hospital last time a few years ago? I said, yeah. She said, he told me the strangest story. I said, what's that? She said, she says to me, he said that while he was in the hospital, an angel came to him
2: and told him that he was innocent and that he should forgive himself. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And for me, that experience was so
1: profound and so much an important part of my work and the principles moving forward, because in my father, I saw that anybody I <laughs> uh, anybody. <laughs> so later on, when we'd be working in the prisons, and I'd meet some guy that, you know, was tatted up from head to toe and had a serious drug problem. I could see past the mask and talk to that soul
2: inside, which is all that really happened in that hospital room. You know, that's that's what shifted our relationship. It was I went to my health and talked to him from there, and he felt it and experienced his own health. That's the only way that that kind of profound
1: transformational change could ever be explained.
0: So it would suggest that actually we're all mentally healthy, or at least that there is health, there is innate health inside of us because, yeah, like it goes beyond or flies in the face of what most of us think. You know, you have to have years of therapy or you have to, you know, take these steps in order for you to change. But actually what you're saying is is that can happen in an instant in a moment
1: absolutely absolutely like what we've come to learn with the principles is that once you go inside and you have an insight you don't have to worry about reorganizing your thought your thoughts are all automatically reordered to wisdom to understanding. you look back at this life and all the things you've been through from that quiet place from that neutral place and you see it all with understanding and because you see it with understanding your thoughts are automatically reordered. Now, for all of us, that happens at different speeds and different degrees at a time, but it happens, right? And it doesn't really matter about the speed. Once you're, uh, the way I look at it is once you're on the train, you're going to the destination. You might go up and down while you're on the train, but you're still on
2: the damn train. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I've, I've personally experienced this especially around my relationships Um, and, you know, just even with the relationship that we, I just ended recently. um, It's quite amazing to me that even the way in which it ended and yet there's still a lot of love and, and respect there. And actually Yeah, there's there's nothing's changed in that respect. There's definitely the form in which is form has changed.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it's really appropriate for the form to change, but it doesn't have to change the feeling, which is counter to what people think, you
0: know. Right, exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because I remember having an insight about this when Leo was was small and my ex husband and I, well, ex husband being the operative word no longer together. And realizing you can really love somebody, but it doesn't mean that you need to live in the same house.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's times when it's appropriate not to, you know, yeah. obviously, obviously, for your own health. But, you know, but it, you know that, that idea that, and I, I've known a number of couples who've separated over the years who have maintained a beautiful relationship, you know, so the relationships not dependent on the form.
0: No, it's totally not. But that's contrary, once again, to popular belief. And I remember you sharing something with me, which I think would be, which kind of came to mind just now, which was the trip you did with your son and having that realization.
1: yeah, uh, that's good. Yeah, my, my son works in Washington, DC, and we're out here on the West Coast, a long ways away. And um, he worked there for 20 years for the federal government and then resigned. I won't go into why, but he resigned, needed a break. And um, he wanted to do some writing and so on. So he decided that he would sell his house and come and stay with us for a year here on Salt Spring. And we thought that's great because really we haven't lived within a couple thousand miles of him since he went off to college and he's like 47. So we thought, well, that'd be great. So I fly out to DC to help him pack up his house. Right. And I'm doing the typical, oh, he's got all this stuff. It doesn't fit in storage. Why do you need three bicycles? you're the father thing in my head, right? And, you know, you shouldn't be collecting all this, blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, mm-hmm. And finally, it took us about three days, I think more than three days, maybe three and a half days, to get 20 years of a household put into storage, right? So then we jump in his car, which was fun because it was a, a Tesla. We were driving across the country in a, in, a, in a Tesla Model S, which I had never experienced. But anyway, uh, we get in the car and we start on the drive. And in my head, I'm still doing all this you now. And it, meanwhile, he's trying to tell me about his vision. Like he's very, um, oh, I don't want to say he's political. It's not political. He's in service to the country, you know, particularly as it applies to the environment. So he's trying to tell me about his vision for next year. And I'm still thinking about why do you have three bicycles? <laughs> Second or third day into it, we're driving along, and it just hits me that I'm listening to this wonderful young man with my father ears, and I'm thinking about all this father stuff, you know? It's like, I went, oh, right. And it, it was just the most amazing. It was like magic. It's like, I just let it go, and I started listening to him, and I went, oh, my God, you know? I don't know this man. And it just changed the whole trip, you know? We had, 10 days together after that, it was just phenomenal. And I felt like, I know this sounds strange, but I felt like I was meeting my son for the first time because I was listening to him. I was in, I dropped the past, put it that way, and I got out of my father's ears. <laughs> you know, this is not to say there isn't a place now and then for father ears, but it's not a good operating platform, put it that
0: way. It's really interesting you say that because actually something occurred to me today and it was very subtle, but it's certainly something that I kind of ended up reflecting on. This morning, I bought Leo, my little one, some glasses that, you can, that he can wear that protect him from the blue rays of the screen.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, he said to me this morning, he's like, mama, can I take these to, to he's, he's got a little sun cam that he goes to. And I've got my mama ears on, right? Going, no, 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 he's going to lose them. No, 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 we're going to keep them here. And he goes, But there's a TV there. And I'm like, You don't need it for the TV. It's just for the screens. Um, but best to leave them here so you don't lose them. Anyway, so um, I go off this morning, whatever, he's there. And on the way back home, I suddenly go, I think I saw some computer screens there, like little iPad screens.
2: Right, right.
0: That's what he must have been referring to. And that, that these glasses are perfect for that. That's exactly why I bought
2: them. Mm-hmm. And so,
0: it and it suddenly sort of dawned on me, how often do I, how often do I kind of go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, mommy knows better.
2: Yeah.
0: And I suddenly went, no, I don't know better. In this case. Yeah,
2: exactly. Like I said,
1: there's, there are places when it it's right to know better. Right. But it's Not good as a permanent operating system.
0: No, it's not. And I'm really glad, like, it, it just, and, and what came to mind was the story that you had with your son. It came to mind for me today. And I was thinking, how often did I do that to Leo? Because actually his suggestion was spot on. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, I actually went back to him and I said, look, sorry, I... No, I know, um, your suggestion was actually really spot on, Baba. Tomorrow we're going to take your glasses. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, thank you, Mama. So it was like this moment of like, huh, I think I need to listen to my son a little bit better.
1: <laughs> that's beautiful. It really is. And you know what? It's not about you had it wrong to begin with, because even that's good. For him. It's really good for him to see you reconsider and come yeah. back to that space with him. I, I mean... Uh, We were, Jen and I were doing a talk at the London conference once. And for whatever reason, they asked us to do a talk on parenting. And we hadn't had kids for a long time, right? But we did it. So we ended up talking about my daughter and son-in-law and the boys, my my grandkids, and just talking about, they're just amazing parents. And so somebody in the audience put up their hands and said, they're into the principles. And I said, well, they are. They love Sid's books and they listen, but they're not in the community. They just live their lives, right? And to them, they grew up with it. My my daughter grew up with it. She's like a fish in water. I said, What's what's unique about them as parents is not that they're perfect, right? What's unique about them is this is what their kids see. Their kids see that mom and dad have stuff come up that's hard and difficult with work and uh, money, just like every other couple on, on the planet, right? And they see that mom and dad get upset once in a while or get concerned or worried. What they see consistently, however, is that mom and dad know how to get back to square one. And no matter what happens, they do get back to square one. They do get back to that healthy feeling. So for those kids, that's normal. Mm. That is their normal. That you, you know, life is a contact sport. Stuff's going to happen. You're not always going to be, you know, thrilled with everything. You're, you're going to have conflict sometimes. But yeah, there is a square one. There is a place where, the, where it's peaceful and you're more your true self. To those kids, that's normal. And I said, that's what I love about watching them as parents. Not that they're perfect. Is that the kids just see that there will always be health and happiness. We'll always get back to it. And I, I to this day, I just, I love that idea that, you know, we're not perfect. But our kids saw us get back to square one on a regular basis. So it was normal for them to see that. As opposed to the way I grew up, nobody ever got back to square one. <laughs> <laughs> just worse and worse, right?
0: And worse and worse. But I love that. I love that because I see Leo get caught up. It's not like we're going to be flatline peace ever, forever. You know, all the time. But it's literally like I see him go into it, and then he's out of it again. And that actually is just so beautiful to see that it actually that is that simple. It is that simple. It is that simple. So thank you so much, Chip, because your stories, your, where you come from, the energy that you, that you share these stories from, I know has such an impact not only on all of the clients that you've ever served, but also I've experienced it firsthand. And I hope that people that, any of you that have been listening today can sense that, or at least certainly lots of hope um if someone is listening in and said, Oh my gosh, I've got to get into contact with this good looking old man who plays. They <laughs> watch it on the old thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um good looking mature man. Looking mature man. Where can they where can they reach out to you?
1: Well my website is chip, C-H-I-P, at Vantage V-A-N-T A-G-C Vantage. <laughs> dot com, chip advantageconsult.com.
0: We'll make sure that we put that information in the in the show notes.
1: Great. Right. And if everybody wants to email, I can get back to them through email. I'd love to email.
0: Thank you so, so much, Chip, once again. It's always such a pleasure to speak to you and to listen to your um, incredibly miraculous stories.
1: <laughs> well thank you and you know uh Marina is one of my favorite people in this world to talk to. I mean, she- <laughs> at an amazing rate, and she laughs at herself, which is a gift. It really is. It's a gift. And I've learned a lot from Marina that way, and I really appreciate it.
0: (laughs) You sometimes, yeah, there are lots of times that I don't. But thank you for the reflection back. Um, I find that laughing is actually, and and joy is is actually, um, what was it? Bill Pettit said it's like sun for the fungus in a dark room. <laughs> it dries it out. And
1: <laughs> well, you know Sid loved to laugh, and he said something really interesting to me one time. He said, "Do you ever notice that when you have a good belly laugh that you can't think?" Ah was cool. <laughs> He', he to laugh until he couldn't laugh anymore. Anyway, lovely to be with you.
0: Thank you, Thank you so much again. Bye-bye Bye. for now. And there we have it, another amazing episode of The Joy of Being. If you enjoyed this podcast, you may well enjoy the book as well. You can either download a free chapter, www.MarinaPearson.com slash chapter, where I go into much more depth into how we can create more time and space as mum. And if that doesn't fly and you're more curious about getting the entire book, then you can do that too at www.MarinaPearson.com slash book. Until the next time, remember, you are the joy you
2: seek.